following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. progress are you washed in the blood of the lamb now don't quickly answer and say oh yes i'm saved that's not what i ask you i ask have you been washed in the blood of the lamb have you been cleansed have you been changed have you been transformed into a new creature or are you the same old same old 
angry, bitter, lying, cheating, stealing. I'm astonished at how many people who call themselves Christians spend the majority of their free time playing violent, wicked video games. It is the scourge of the millennial generation. They are escaping reality and spending their time in a make-believe world playing video games. I see them walking down the street. Their head is down and their phone is out in front of them and they are playing a video game and I have to step aside as they walk down the sidewalk else they would just walk right into me. I have to confess, there have been several times when I've just stopped and stood still and they've walked into me with great embarrassment. And I have asked them, what are you looking at that is so interesting to you? And they'll say, oh, I'm just playing a video game. And I'll say to them, I'm glad I wasn't a car. You'd be dead. Or I'm glad I'm not Jesus. Or you'd face the judgment. Now, please. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Or have you been washed in the latest video game? Have you been washed by Disney World? Have you been washed by the Steelers or the Redskins? What are you washed by? What is it that you are doing or looking at that is transforming you into the likeness of what you love. For we all are transformed into what we love. I often note with humor that people will often look like their dogs. Well, why? Because there is such an affinity between them and their animal and they worship their animal. They will spend thousands of dollars doing some delicate surgery for their animal. They look alike. Sometimes it's funny, and sometimes you just want to cry. What do you look like? You look like what you love. So have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Or have you been washed in the image of your dog or cat? Have you been washed in the image of your children? Have you been washed in the image of the sporting world? What do you look like? Now, there is a doctrine. We've been speaking about it all week. It is the doctrine of holiness. Without holiness, the scriptures say, no man can see the Lord. This is not imputed holiness. Let's be very clear. The scriptures say holiness, real holiness. We've been speaking about sanctification. 
I'd like to take a little further the definition of sanctification. Sanctification is very specific. The meaning is very specific. It is to be separated from your idols. It is to be made into something new. It's made up of three words in the Greek. A, earth, separation. Those are the three Greek words that form the word that we know of as hagiadzo or sanctified. A man who has been sanctified has had an earth separation. He is separated from his professional sports lust. He is separated from the lust of his flesh, the lust of his eyes. He is separated from everything of this world. You are separated from earthly things to be connected to spiritual things. You are separated from time to be connected to eternity. You are separated from idols to be joined to the living God. Separation from common earthly things to be wholly employed in the service of our God. So when a man is washed, when he's baptized into Christ, this is not merely some ritual. This is where you make a covenant with Jesus to put off all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. You agree to allow Jesus to do that in you. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the one who comes and circumcises our heart. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you been sanctified? Have you been made holy? Or are you of that earthly wicked opinion that you can continue to walk in your sin and believe the cheap grace people and believe that everything's fine, you're on your way to heaven, you're saved, but you love everything of this world and you spend your time pursuing the same thing the world pursues and you act in the same way and you spend your money in the same way. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? This is not an idle question. Let me read a passage of Scripture for you. We find it in Corinthians, that is, 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. I'm going to begin reading for you at verse 9. Do you not know 
that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Now the problem we immediately have is you may consider some things to be not wicked that God considers to be very wicked. So we have to first get a clear understanding of what he's talking about. What is wickedness? Well, what is sin? First John tells us that sin is rebellion against God, works of iniquity, wickedness. He goes on, do not be deceived. And now he's going to give us a hit list to consider. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor male prostitutes nor homosexual offenders nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you notice there is absolutely no word here regarding an imputed righteousness? That is a fantasy lie made up by the modern church in order to assure their financial success. It is men teaching this lie who are unable or unwilling to surrender everything to Jesus and be washed in the blood. And so they lead their carnal life according to Jude. And those who are becoming to to freedom from sin are told, no, 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 you can't stop sinning. You're going to always be a sinner. Now, I want you to notice something. You may say to yourself, well, I'm not... I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a male prostitute. I'm not a homosexual. I'm not a thief. I'm not greedy. I'm not a drunkard. Oh, but wait a minute. Did you catch the second item listed? Idolater. What's an idolater, Pastor? It's where you put anything or anyone between you and Jesus Christ. If you spend your time playing video games, you are an idolater. If you spend your time watching the football games and the basketball games, the professional sports, you are, by definition, an idolater. If work holds the primary place in your life, you are an idolater. An idolater is simply one who puts something in their life ahead of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul considers the sexually immoral and the idolater to be before the judgment bar of God the same. He considers adultery, homosexuality, stealing. 
He says, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. He considers an idolater right in amongst all of them, in fact, in the number two position. And he continues, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. That is, you were made separate from the world. You were separated from your sins when you came and were washed by the blood of Jesus. If you have not been separated from your sin, you have not been washed by the blood of Jesus. And regardless of your profession of faith, and your religiosity. You are hell-bound. You have not been made holy. Only those who are made holy will be able to enter into that kingdom above. It says you were sanctified. You were justified. And the word justified is dikasune here. That is to be rendered righteous or rendered innocent. You were made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now he goes on, everything is permissible permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, I'm not going to be an idolater. Some of you worship your coffee. You would not survive without your coffee. Some of you worship your cell phone. I just recently had to get a new cell phone. It's an Android 5, the Note 5. I'm ready to dump it in the trash. I hate it. Well, pastor, why do you hate your telephone? Because it's more intrusive than the worst idea of a wife could ever be. It's always sending me these foolish messages. Do this. Allow this. Open this door. Shut this down. Are you kidding me? I'm an adult. I don't need a nanny walking with me or a mama walking with me everywhere. I hate this telephone. It is like... The worst nightmare you could have of the worst wife possible in the world. I'm ready to dump it in the trash. I'm ready to divorce my cell phone. I don't want all of this information being shot at me. I want a telephone that will allow me to make calls to those I need to make calls to. I want a telephone that will allow me to get messages, text messages from people who need to reach me. I don't need a nanny. Well, many of you are so connected to your cell phone. You're looking at it hundreds of times a day. You will check your cell phone. I have a suggestion for you. Carry your Bible. And every time you're tempted to look at your cell phone, read a verse of scripture. 
you'll get better information from the Bible than you'll get from that foolish nanny telephone that always wants to tempt you to go into darkness. So it's an idolatrous item for many of you, particularly the young. The internet is a point of idolatry in our culture. Netflix and the movies are a point of idolatry in our culture. Paul says, it's permissible for me. Paul could sit down and watch a few minutes of television. But if he came to your home and you were watching TV, he'd do the same thing I do when I visit a family and they're watching television. I'll sit down politely with them. And then I'll very kindly say to them, do you mind if we turn the television off so we could pray together? And we could talk together about Jesus. Because frankly, I can't compete with the television. You keep looking at me and then you look at the TV. And then you look at me like, which one am I going to listen to? Why don't we just shut it off? Do you mind? I have an even better suggestion for you. Why don't you take your TV out and put it in the trash? I'm greatly disturbed by couples who are getting married and one of the first things they want to buy is a big screen television. They have in their heart idolatry. Now Paul is saying, look, I'm not touched by any of this stuff. Food for the stomach, stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Please may I say this. Your body is not meant for a bowl of ice cream. Your body is meant for for the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I stepping on toes? The body is not meant for food. God did not give you a body so that you could be the gourmet gourmet. Now, I say this as one who has been sorely tempted by haagen and Ben and Jerry's and other delectable ice creams. I could eat a a pint of ice cream every night. And of course, if I did, you know what I'd look like. I'd look like the container of ice cream because whatever I begin to worship, that's what I'm going to look like. Some of you, please, you look like the refrigerator because you're always looking at the refrigerator. You're broad-beamed because you worship the food. You have refused to work out your arm muscles by pushing yourself away from the table. Paul is saying, look, all of this stuff is idolatry. And he's saying, if you walk in the idolatry of the flesh, you are not holy, you are not sanctified, and you cannot enter into heaven. This is how serious this is. 
He says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Now, as this has begun to to dawn on me, I was awakened early this morning. And immediately I began to think about this passage of Scripture and recognize the sore truth that there is a difference between my spirit and my body. My hand has never controlled my spirit. My feet, when I... When I stand up, my feet don't automatically begin to move and take me someplace. My hands don't grasp onto something and say, No, I'm not going to go where you want to take me, feet. No, my feet and my hands are coordinated. Well, what are they coordinated to? They're coordinated to my spirit. It's my spirit that dwells in my body that tells my body what to do. I can guarantee you that your hand never grabbed a pint of whiskey and began to drink it unless your spirit told it to. And Paul is saying, please understand, your body is meant for Jesus. It is not meant for the wickedness of your heart to obey the promptings of a wicked mind and a wicked spirit. Your body was meant for Jesus, for the Lord. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Should I take my body and unite it with the redskins? Should I take my body and unite it with the refrigerator? Should I take my body and unite it to anything in this world? No. No. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, please, you will not understand this doctrine 
of holiness, of sanctification, if you're unwilling to go down where the rubber hits the road with what you do with your body and with your mind and with your words. This must all be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And the modern church comes along and steals the power of the gospel from us and tells us, no, you cannot give your body to Jesus. Your body is always going to sin. You cannot give your mind to Jesus. You are carnal by nature and you're always going to be carnal until you die. They're lying to us. They have stolen the power of the gospel from the church. As one man said to me this morning, we were speaking about this issue. He said, people do not want to be made holy. He asked me, what are you speaking about on the radio today? And I said, I'm talking about holiness and sanctification. He said, people don't want that. In other words, that's not going to sell, Pastor. And then he went on and he said, and you know what, Pastor? They want to go to church and they want to be entertained. And they want to remain in control of their lives he said I I'm going to listen to the broadcast today the greatest need of the church is holiness and sanctification and it's all offered us in the blood of Jesus but we'd rather believe that it is imputed to us that it is granted to us but not in reality that instead this wonderful smothering blanket of grace covers us over so when God looks at us he doesn't see us he just sees Jesus this lie is so pernicious it is so wicked it is so evil it has destroyed the testimony of godliness and holiness and sanctification in the church. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? Have you died to your flesh and to your will and to your way? Verse 15, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What's a worldly point of view? How can you benefit me? How can my pleasure be found at your expense? Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though through God we were making his appeal. Through us we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you understand? That's the cry that I'm giving to you today. God made us who had, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's not a good translation. The literal translation is, God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering, a priestly sacrificial offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That word become. I can't pronounce it, but I'll try. It is in the Greek, G-H-I-N-O-M-A-H-E-E, Gehenemy. This is the same word from which we get the word in English, generator. In Jesus Christ, the energy is created, the electricity is created so that we become the actual righteousness of God. We become the innocence of God. So in verse 17, he says, Therefore come out from them and be separate. That is the doctrine of of sanctification that is the doctrine of holiness touch no unclean thing and I will receive you I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty since we have these promises dear friends this is chapter 7 2nd Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 since we have these promises remember I shared with you earlier this week we enter into the divine nature via the promises of God. Since we have these promises, what promises? That if we will come out and be separate, if we will stop touching unclean things, he will receive us and he will be a father to us. We will be sons and daughters of his. Through this precious promise, he says, Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. What is this? You cannot be perfect. The command of Scripture is be perfect even as I am perfect. The command of Scripture is purify yourself from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is not something we do on our own. 
This is what sanctification is. This is what the doctrine of holiness is about. Through the promises of God, we release the power of the blood of Jesus to wash and cleanse us and to make us into new creatures. Now, as I shared yesterday, there is a twofold work that must be done. First, there is the work of being born from above, where our past sins are forgiven, where we die with Christ on the cross. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So the first part of the process is we must die with Christ. And he must come into our lives. Our past sins are forgiven. And we are in the first step of sanctification. We are made righteous. We no longer continue to walk in rebellion and sin against him. But the old nature is still very much a part of our life. And the second work of grace is called by John Wesley the crisis sanctification crisis sanctification what did he mean he meant that after you have been born again after you have been given the power to stop walking in sin you will not be tempted the scriptures say beyond what you were able to bear God will always make a way of escape from that temptation. There is no reason for a born-again person to in any manner continue to sin. First John tells us, you may sin. And if you do, you have an advocate with the Father. He will forgive you for your sin, and then he will purify you so that you don't commit that sin again. There is no allowance in Scripture for continually going back to the same sin. But, in the Christian's life, those strong temptations will rise out of the heart, and you will begin to see the depth of the wickedness of your heart. And you will be deeply grieved by that wickedness. You will begin to perceive that you are, in fact, in your heart, a murderer, a liar, a cheater, a thief. You recognize you're not doing those things, but you recognize that possibility is very much there for you because you have such a wicked heart. And the crisis comes when you finally say, look, I can't stand this another day, Jesus. And you begin to cry out to him to deliver you from the old carnal nature. And you say, Jesus, make me new. And Jesus will answer you. And he will remove from you that wicked nature and that wicked heart. You enter into that work of grace by the precious promises of scripture you enter into the divine nature by the precious promises of scripture 
Now let me come back just a moment. This sanctification and this holiness that I'm speaking about is absolutely necessary if you are going to be able to be used by the Holy Spirit to teach the gospel to other people. You cannot fulfill the gospel commission until you have received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I'll be very frank with you. I am in that crisis in my life where I'll come and I'll teach you everything I can teach you. But I have not yet received the Pentecost power of the Holy Spirit. Now I'll be even more troublesome. I don't know anyone who in my day has received that anointing of the Holy Spirit. Everything in our background, everything in our Americanism, everything in our culture is about self. I know the Holy Spirit is preparing me for that baptism. I pray he's preparing you also for that baptism. If you go back to Azusa Street, which was the foundation of the Pentecostal church, and you look at what they believed in the most powerful movement of God in the modern age, meeting in a a building that used to be a barn with a dirt floor, nothing to impress the flesh, yet men and women coming from all over the world and being touched by the Pentecost power of God. Black and white, totally mixed race, no prejudice, people would come and sometimes even two blocks away would suddenly dressed in their fancy suits and ties they would suddenly fall to the ground stricken by God and begin to weep uncontrollably as suddenly the power of God fell on them and began to convict them of their sin were they greater sinners than you or me no Revival is that awesome pouring out of the presence of God where he demands total separation from sin. Where he unveils every part of the wickedness of the human heart. We must have this. greatest sadness of my heart is that I come and I teach this holiness I teach this repentance and sanctification I teach this gospel but it is not accepted it is not what people want to hear and my heart is broken
The doctrine of holiness and sanctification is the message for the final hour of earth's history. And I confess I have failed God in this message because it has not been the central message of my ministry of 40-some years. It is only in the last 20 years that I have earnestly begun to understand the gospel of repentance, holiness, and sanctification. I have been deeply grieved over the years I've wasted in immaturity and foolishness The church has declined in power and effectiveness until today we are a caricature of the body of Christ filled with bands and praise and worship that never ascend into the courts of God filled with entertainment of the pastors joking and laughing and being Hail fellow well met. Never speaking the truth to his people regarding their sin. Never addressing the question of holiness and sanctification except through cheap grace. Oh, you're saved. Pat you on the head. You're on your way to heaven. No, you're not. You're on your way to hell if you have continued to walk in sin and rebellion against God. So the world plunges deeper and deeper into paganism. The church begins to worship Gia, the female goddess of the earth. The church begins to be led astray on all kinds of issues. The church begins to accept the ungodly Jonathan Edwards struggled with a half-converted. Today, a pastor, to be honest, must struggle with the unconverted who fill his church, who pack his vestries, who sit on his boards. Church has become, in our day, a business. A very profitable business, by the way. But church is not a business. It's a ministry of holiness. It's a ministry of rebuke. It's a ministry of righteousness and calling the lost to be crucified with Christ, to be born from above, to turn from their wicked ways. To sanctify is to be made free from sin to cleanse from moral corruption and pollution, to purify. Hagiadzo, to sanctify. It means that the power of God must come upon my life. There must be a supernatural work of grace It must be done by the Holy Spirit. We must be baptized by the Holy Spirit. 
we must be made holy. Without this, no one will see the Lord. Holiness is an experience for the here and the now. It is a preparation making one ready to see the Lord. Holiness is not an experience that is begun in this life to be completed in a future life. It is holiness now or never. We must be sanctified, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit. And so again, sanctification is initially begun in the conversion experience. But there must be that second work of grace where we are sanctified wholly. In conversion, we're saved from sinful acts. We're saved from that initial wickedness. We are made holy. But then we must go on to a new place. The work of sanctification must be completed now. In the Greek, there is the construction for the Greek word hagios to be used in the future tense. But never in the New Testament is hagios used in the future sense. It is never in the future you will be made holy. It is only found in the present tense. It is a verb to sanctify, to make holy. It does not occur even once in the Greek New Testament in the future tense. It is something that must be done now, or it will never be done. And so I return to my original question. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Or are you just a church person, a religious person, a spiritual person, a part of the club, a part of the social organization? You pay your tithe, your dues, you attend church, but you've never been washed in the blood because you still walk in your sin. You can't be washed in the blood of Jesus and continue to walk in your sin. The washing removes the sin. How can I wash my hands and still have dirty hands? If I wash my hands, they're clean. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ? Now, we're out of time for today. I'm going to pray briefly with you, and then I want to share some information with you. Mighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, my Father, I ask that your will would be done over every person listening to this broadcast, that you would bring them to a place of absolute laying down of their life, being washed by the blood of Jesus. 
would you bring them into holiness and sanctification? I pray in your holy name. Amen. I had to make a decision today whether I would do an offertory to help cover the cost of this month's radio broadcast. And I made the decision as I prayed about it, no, I'm not going to do an offertory day. I'm going to trust that those of you who are moved by the Holy Spirit will contribute, that you will step in and cover the difference. If this broadcast is important to you, and you've grown in Jesus because of it, would you please send tithes and offerings to cover the cost to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there right at the top you'll see our Twitter account. I invite you to sign up and follow us on Twitter. We'll be sending terse messages of holiness, inviting you to walk with Jesus and with us. So go to nationalprayerchapel.com and then go to the Twitter page. And we'll talk together. Now, I also invite you to look on our webpage and find where we meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia, 12 o'clock on Sunday. We'd love to have you visit. If you come, Jesus will meet you. God bless you. This is Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I'll talk to you soon. We